I'm missing something. I'm wondering where the month of January went. I mean, this is the last Sunday of January 2020. The 2020 Affirming the Faith Lectureship is just a little bit less than six weeks away. It's going to be March 6th and March 7th in Oklahoma City. And if you've never been to that, I want to encourage you tonight. It is an incredible time of fellowship, wonderful lessons, lessons for all ages. If you've never been, it's set up so that if you, if you work and all of that, uh, uh, what I call a normal day job, uh, you can be down there Friday night at 7.30 uh, after work. You can stay overnight. You can go to all the lessons on Saturday, and we come home Saturday late afternoon, early evening. Uh, if you can just come down Saturday, that would be awesome as well. But it is a great time, a lot of great lessons. And in fact, tonight's sermon that you're going to hear was inspired by a lesson that I heard three years ago down there. And I told Denny Petrillo after he taught it, I said, I'm going to steal that lesson. Uh, it was really that good. And it goes with this morning's lesson and complements it very well. And so obviously, I don't just steal other people's sermons. I rework them, OK? But you know, the nuts and bolts, a lot of us preachers, we we, we use other people's material because there's no new material, obviously, because the book is 2,000 years old. So, But Denny, Denny Petrillo from Bear Valley Bible Institute of Denver, he taught a class there three years ago. The title of it was Think on These Things. Some of you may have been in that class, but probably most of you weren't. And it has to do with attitude. We talked this morning about a mindset, about attitude, and, and it goes right along with that really well. And he started out by saying, you know, sometimes in a store, you, you go shopping, you go into a store, and you approach the cash register. And you just know, walking up to face the cashier, that it's not going to be a real pleasant experience. Because <laughs> she's had a bad day, or he's had a bad day. Maybe they've had a bad week. You don't know what other people are struggling with. Maybe they've had a bad life. And sometimes you can just tell by the look on people's faces when you approach them, they're not in the mood to laugh, to small talk, to discuss the Lord. I mean, they've just had a bad day. And you can tell. And it may not go well, despite their best efforts. Because we live in a world of hurt and pain, negativity, burdens. Everybody's got them. But it is precisely, as Danny called it, a world where negativity overshadows so much. Just a lot of negativity. In fact, he called it stinking thinking. We live in a world of stinking thinking. And to, he's got a good point. Some people have an attitude problem. Think about this. Some people, and maybe you've known them, okay? Some people are unhappy about everything. It doesn't matter what it is, they're just unhappy about everything. They're unhappy about politics, they're unhappy about the government, they're unhappy about their job, they're unhappy about their family, they are unhappy about their relationships, they are just miserable about everything. In fact, some people are not happy unless they're miserable. You ever known somebody like that? They're out there and they walk around, okay? We've met them and it happens and we understand that. We live in a world of negativity. He talked about, and I love this, he talked about there was a place, and this was three years ago when I heard this lesson, but apparently there was a place in Houston called Tantrums. 
you heard it right, Tantrums LLC. And what it was, some of you are shaking your head yes, what it was was a place that you could go if you were just so depressed and frustrated and all the negativity was closing in and they'd put you in a room for fee, you paid a good price for this, but you'd go into this room and they'd have windshields, fine china, TV sets, and they would give you either a baseball bat or an iron pipe and you could charge around in there for an hour just busting stuff. That's what it was, Tantrums LLC. And they guaranteed, they promised that when you got done, you'd feel better. And what I thought was the funniest about all that, do you know what their biggest clientele was? Stay-at-home moms. <laughs> Negativity influences our attitudes. Negative attitudes, bad attitudes. If you do any research on road rage, that was the big thing here a few years ago, probably still is, but we don't hear that much about it anymore. If you do internet research on road rage, bottom line, why is there road rage? Why do people do that? Well, it's because of uncontrolled attitudes. That's why. They just can't control their attitude. And so, Danny said that one of his favorite messages that he ever heard when he, when he called somebody and there was an answering machine, you know the little message, you know, leave it after the beep. I hate talking to those things, but anyway, that's a personal thing. Moving on. He said that one of the favorite ones that he had ever heard was this one. Was this one. Aha! The, the top one. Have a good day. Remember, it is a choice. Forget the bottom one. We'll get to that. He said this was on an answering machine. Have a good day. Remember, it is a choice. And that's something I think we sometimes forget. I mean, we kind of know it, but we don't know it. Do we understand that we have the choice every morning when we get up as to whether or not we're going to have a good day? Do we understand that's a choice that we make every day? By not making a choice, we usually choose to have a negative day. But if we wake up first thing in the morning and we make the choice, I'm going to have a good day today. We pray to God. And we, we pray and we talk to him about the people we want to reach and we thank him for the good things. We, we, we pray to God. We make up our mind. We're going forward this day as a child of the living God. My sins are washed away. His mercies are new every morning. I'm going to make the choice to have a good day today. You know, most of the time we will. Having a good day does not depend on our outward circumstances. It is a choice that we make. And everybody has the same opportunity to make that choice. Think about some of the happiest people in the world and some of the most miserable. Do you know that some of the most miserable people in the world have it made? They're the ones that we would say have it made. They have, they have the, the millions of dollars and they have, they have you know, the, the plastic painted on smiles. You take some of these movie stars and who's the first one you see at the counter when you check out on the magazines at drug rehab because they can't handle life. It's the multi-million dollar, beautiful, got everything, had everything, done everything people. Some of those people that we would think should be the happiest based on their outer circumstances are some of the most miserable. And you know, some of the poorest, most humble people in the world are some of the happiest people. It's not determined by outward circumstances. We need to make the choice because the choice is ours every day. One of my old email sign-offs was this one, choose to have a great and godly day. I used that at the foot of my emails for a long time because it is a choice. Tomorrow morning when you get up, no matter what your day is in, has in front of you for events, you're going to make the choice one way or the other to have a good day. And most of the time, unless there's some 
incredible personal catastrophe that pops up that you just can't handle, that puts you on overload, most of the day, time, you'll have the kind of day that you've made the choice to have. It's a choice. Choose to have a great and godly day. Now, then he went on to say, and this is key for us to understand, please understand this. Nobody, nobody makes you have a bad attitude any more than anybody can make you have a good attitude. It's a choice. Your attitude is up to you. Then he told of the time when he was first a preacher. He was from the city, Colorado. And his first preaching job, his first preaching job was in rural Mississippi. Now, city Colorado in the city moving to rural Mississippi is somewhat of a culture change. It's like going from Maine to Oakland. Anyway. And he said, I hated everything about it. I just be I hated everything about it. I hated the bugs. I hated the mice. I hated everything about it. You know, the second, <laughs> second year that we were in Oklahoma, lived in Maine most all of our lives, moved to South Dakota, came to Oklahoma. And like the second year we were here was that massive, like 30 days in a row of triple digit heat every day. I thought, what have I gotten myself into? This is not real, because this thick Maine blood just wasn't handling. We walked outside of the church building one night, and we got in a vehicle and said the temperature was 116 degrees, three, like 30 days in a row of triple. 116 degrees at 6 o'clock at night, that ain't real. That ain't human. Then he said he hated everything about it. He said and he complained and complained and complained. He was a newlywed. First preaching job. He said his wife listened to his bad attitude for months. Then she told him point blank one day, she said, listen, the problem is not Mississippi. The problem is your attitude. That'll wake you up, won't it, husbands? The problem is not Mississippi. The problem is your attitude. You have a horrible attitude. And he said he started working on his attitude that very day, right after he apologized to his wife for his attitude. Four years later, he said, when we left there and we left that job and we left that state, he said, I cried. I had come to love everything about it. What was the difference? Had the bugs and the mice changed? No. His attitude, his mindset toward it had changed. Changed. It is amazing how our personal choice of our attitude affects every other facet of our daily lives. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. A bad attitude cripples us in our life. Nobody wants to be around, whether it's as a coworker or, or in any social setting, nobody wants to be around somebody with a bad attitude. Maybe you've worked, don't raise your hands, keep them down. Put them like this and don't move them. Any of you ever worked with somebody who had a bad attitude? Gone to school, somebody had a bad attitude. Had a close relationship with somebody, had a bad attitude. Everything was negative. Bad attitudes, the choice of attitude affects every facet of our daily life. And I just wonder, I wonder how many evangelistic efforts within the church have been thwarted 
because somebody who was approached had known somebody years ago who went to the church who was a person with a negative attitude. How many times do we knock a door or do we talk to somebody at work or school and, and things are going great and they have an interest in the Lord, but then all of a sudden they find out maybe where we go to church and maybe somebody 20 or 30 years ago from the church had a really bad attitude that soured them up hard. I wonder. Maybe people sort of like that. The most miserable people on the planet, the most miserable people on the planet are those who care only or primarily about themselves, understand or care to deal only with their own problems, and only want to see their own perspective. Those are some of the most miserable people on the planet. So what exactly is it that lies at the heart and soul core of a bad attitude? What is it? What is that element that is right? I mean, it is the hub on the wheel. It is, it is the heart and soul of a bad attitude or negative attitude. What is it? One, one word? Yeah, one word. <laughs> Selfishness. Selfishness. Or two words, hyphenated, self-centered. Ness. It's all about me. That's where the bad attitudes come from. Life is all about me. This was the problem with the Pharisee in Luke 18, 9 through 14. This was the problem with Judas Iscariot. Think about Judas's issue. Judas's issue was he was upset because Jesus had not allowed this vial of perfume to be sold for a great amount of money and it be put in a pot because he stole out of the, uh, be put in a box because he stole out of the box. It was selfishness. That was Judas's problem. Well, this could have been sold and, and all this money, you know, uh, given and, or given to us. And, and, and Judas's problem was selfishness, bitterness, anger. But he had a bad attitude, people. And you know what? If we look in James chapter 3, and I will ask you to please turn there right now. If we look in James chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, and we read through into the first three verses of James chapter 4, it really looks like James was addressing the same problem amongst the brethren within the Lord's church. James was addressing it. Look what he says. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, and then moving right through to 4, 3. Because when James wrote it, he didn't break it into chapters. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Is that true? It's absolutely true. It's black and white true. It's biblical, divinely inspired, true. But, verse 17, the wisdom that is from above, it's just the opposite. It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy 
and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is just the opposite. James says, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights? Now he's going back to, to, to their problem, back to that bitter envy. He, he's told them what bitter envy is all about and how there's confusion and every evil thing there. And he says, but the wisdom comes from God shouldn't look like that. So he says, so what is the source of quarrels and fights among you? James 4 and verse 1. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? In other words, don't they come from the fact that you think it's all about you, selfishness, self-centeredness? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. James would not have asked them, what is the source of fights and struggles among you, unless they were having them. Why were they having them? They were having them because there was selfishness amongst them, just as he had talked about. And just maybe, in fact, it is believed that that was the problem in Philippians 4 between two sisters in the congregation at Philippi. Turn with me to Philippians 4. Stinking thinking. Think on these things. Philippians 4, 1 through 3. I believe Denny even made the point that perhaps, or that he thought that the entire book of Philippians was written just to address this issue. Because you see a lot of things leading up to it in the entire book. Philippians 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says, I urge you, or I implore you. What does he mean? I beg you, I beseech you, I'm pleading with you, Paul says. I am begging you. Please, help these women to get this thing straightened out. To be of the same mind here, or to live in harmony, whichever your version says, in the Greek, that comes from one Greek word, live in harmony, or be of the same mind. It's one Greek word, phreneo. And you know what it has to do with? It has to do with thinking. It has to do with the way you think. Because of the way these two women were thinking, there was an attitude problem of colossal proportions between these two women there. The core problem was their attitude, their thinking. And it was affecting, or it appears as though it was going to affect, the entire church. Can you imagine this? <coughs> what do you think? What do you think fellowship dinner would be like with that? Let's, let's say you had, you know, two ladies. They're just fighting and snarling at each other like cats. They just can't get along. And you go to fellowship dinner and they're both trying to claim control. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Same thing if you had two guys and they were fighting for control of a program, neither one could stand the other. I mean, you can put this in any terms you want, but there's an attitude problem here. 
and it was going to affect everybody around them. You ever had one of those, you know, the, the church is often looked at in the scriptures as a body, you know, it's, it's parallel to a human body and all the different parts. Have you ever had one of those toothaches that made you hurt right to the tip of your toes? One of those toothaches, I mean, it's, a tooth is a fairly small thing. I mean, I don't know what percentage of your total body weight is a tooth, it's not much. Tooth is a small, but did you ever have one of those toothaches that just made everything else hurt? In the body of Christ in Philippi, there was a toothache. There were these two women who were having this struggle. And he says, you gotta, you gotta get them past this. It's interesting to notice that this same word for attitude or mind or mindset is used earlier three times. We covered them this morning in Philippians 2. Turn back there as, as Paul kind of sets the stage for this. In Philippians 2, 1 through 4, as we read this morning, we see this word that's translated in some versions, attitude or mind. Here it is. Philippians 2, 1, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others. And see, that wasn't going on with Euodia and Syntyche. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then, in the ensuing verses, Paul goes on to say, okay, I've told you you need to have this, this, this common attitude, this like-mindedness, this mindset of, of Christ putting others first. And again, apparently these two weren't doing that. So then he goes on in the rest of this chapter or, or the verses that immediately follow, and he said, here's what it looks like. Here's what this attitude looks like. This is where the rubber meets the road. Let me draw you a picture. I'm not just going to tell you you've got to be like-minded and, and have this, this mind where you consider others better. I'm going to show you what it looks like to have it. He says again, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, or for that reason, God has also highly exalted him, given in the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Why? Because he humbled himself and put others first. That's why, continuing on, Paul ties it up. Look at verses 12 through 15. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. You Odean Syntyche, stop your fighting. Stop your grumbling. Stop your complaint. That ain't the way Jesus did it. That ain't the way we're supposed to do it. Now granted, this affects everybody, but you can almost see this leading up to these two. He says, do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights 
in the world. This, this, this is the example that Euodia and Syntyche and you and I, as members of the Lord's Church, have to follow. Love does not insist on its own way. We need to be a people. Put everybody else in the congregation before ourselves. We need to be a people that are willing to yield. Not on doctrine, not on black and white Bibles, not what I'm talking about. We need to be a people who put the good of others before ourselves in all things. This is the selfless attitude or mindset that Jesus had. Denny, at the time in 2017, said he had been at Bear Valley for 32 years. So doing the math, that means he's been there 35 now. And he said over those 32 years, listen to this carefully, you wanna hear something break your heart? He said over those 32 years that he personally knew of 50, 50 congregations of the Lord's Church, he had seen the demise of 50 plus congregations. 50 plus congregations. Most of them closed their doors forever. Isn't that awful? And here's one of the most awful parts of that. It was very rarely doctrinal. Think about that. It wasn't because some contingent in the congregation wanted to say baptism's not essential. It wasn't because some contingent in the congregation wanted to bring in instruments when the Lord said sing. It wasn't doctrinal. In most of those instances, it didn't have anything to do with, you know what it was? People couldn't get along. Personalities, they weren't acting like Christ with one another. It was a personality conflict, not a doctrinal thing. Almost always, he said, people could not find a way to get along. It was personality problems rather than doctrinal ones. Listen, do, you, do, do we really believe, does anybody believe, I don't believe anybody here does, but does anybody in the churches of Christ across the world, do, do we believe that there's going to be a throne over here with just a few of us and another throne here with a few of us and another throne here with a few of us. And You know, some of these small towns, when you go through the Churches of Christ directory, some of these small towns, they've got three and four and five and six. I know of a city not too awful far from here that's got multiple Churches of Christ. None of them are real big. Do we really believe there's going to be separate places like that or is there going to be one throne with all of us together? These people had an attitude problem. But it isn't limited to them. Notice that these two women, Eudaodia and Syntyche, they were formerly very faithful and hardworking sisters in the church. As we read in Philippians 4, we come to understand that. But now they got an attitude, they got a selfish attitude problem. Something was terrible going on between them. And listen, when something like that gets started, it can spread throughout the spiritual body of Christ like, like spiritual cancer. People get forced to take sides whether they want to or not. It's just evil, just, and where there is self-centeredness, there is confusion in every evil thing, and it just, it grows, and it's awful. So, look what he says in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. This is the answer as, how to, as to how to avoid that. He says there is an answer, here's how. He's begged them to be of the same mind, to get back together, to get this ironed out, and, and here's the solution. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Listen, 
If we are as busy counting our blessings as we ought to be, we haven't got time to count the faults in our brother or sister. I love one of the things Karen's always said about women's roles in the church. She said, you know what? If I'm busy doing everything that a Christian woman ought to be doing, I ain't got time enough to worry about being a man too. You know what? If I'm so busy rejoicing in the Lord and counting my blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ and trying to live like him and humble myself, I ain't got time to call, count the faults of brother or sister so-and-so. I ain't got time to fight with them. I'm too busy counting my blessings and trying to become more Christ-like every day. That's the point. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at Never forget the Lord is at hand. Never forget the Lord is right here. Is the Lord together when two of us meet? Is the Lord together with his family when it's us and the Lord in prayer? Is the Lord there? The Lord is at hand. He's right here. He's not far away in heaven, although he's far away in heaven too. But the Lord is with us. The Bible continually talks about this. And he says, so, so rejoice in the Lord and be gentle with one another. Gentle like, like handling a little baby. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Then he goes on to say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Listen, Euodia, Syntyche, Brother A and Brother B, Sister A and Sister C, listen. You, there's got to be peace, and the way you achieve that peace, if you've got a problem, the first thing you need to do is hit your knees and pray. Pray for that thing that's between you. Pray for your own understanding. Pray for your own humility. Pray for that other person. What did Jesus say? Pray for your enemies. Did you know that a person who's your enemy can't stay your enemy very long if you're praying for them all the time? Did you know that? Real hard for them to stay an enemy if you're praying for them all the time. And so he says, pray. You want to avoid all this? Rejoice in the Lord. Remember how close the Lord is. And pray, pray, pray. And he'll guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. But Paul, how do I rejoice? How do I, okay, that'll help some, but, but how do I have a constant mindset of rejoicing? How, how do I do that, Paul? Tells you the next verse or two. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In the Greek, that word meditate is in the present indicative tense. Do you know what that means? It is in the present tense. This is something that we are to do all the time. Again, this is not a one-time thing. It is an ongoing indicative tense, okay? Now, I'm sorry, not present indicative, present imperative. Present means it's always ongoing. Imperative means it's vital. Present imperative, Greek tense. What is Paul saying? Let your mind dwell. When he says meditate on these things, let your mind dwell on them. Guess what? Set your mind, where have I heard that phrase today? Remember we talked about that this morning, set your mind? That's what Paul says, he says meditate on these things continually. Meditate, set your mind, fill your mind, let your mind dwell, continually consider, calculate, concentrate, be consumed by, focus fully on these good things in one another. 
I take a list, of the 140 members who were here last week, the 120-something, or two weeks ago, the 120-something who are here tonight, the 160 or so members if everybody was here, if I take a list of those people and I decide that I'm gonna take that list and I'm gonna put down beside of their names every good thing about that person, every person. Have I got time to complain about their faults? No. No. And he says, you gotta, you gotta focus on, on these things. Meditate, fill your mind with them. This is not a suggestion. This is what will give us the right kind of attitude toward one another. Right here. Verses I just read. You know, one of the main problems in the church at large today is the sin of pride and the selfishness it cultivates. Because you know how it comes out, don't you? You know how it manifests itself, how it makes itself known when we are selfish and pride-filled, even if we don't admit it. You know how it comes out? It manifests itself in our complaining about our brethren. That's how it manifests itself. Our negativity and complaining about our brethren. <clears throat> I don't like the way that guy prays. I don't like it when that guy leads singing. I don't like the way that sister teaches my kids class. Had a guy tell me once he didn't like the way I preached and not in those exact words. And I said, okay. The next Sunday, why don't you bring the lesson and show me how it's supposed to be done? Guess who preached the next Sunday? Me. Danny said he dealt with a lot of young people over the years, and he said, listen, when kids are sitting in the back seat on the way home when they're little, and you get out of church services and all they hear on the way home, well, that was about the worst song service I've ever heard. I don't like the way brother so-and-so prays, really. The sermon was boring. It was a dead song service. I didn't even like sister so-and-so's dress. What a terrible day at church today. He said, you know what happens with those kids when they get older? We fill them so full of negativity. There's no church in the world that's going to hold them. Turn with me to Colossians 4. Instead, this should be our attitude. Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant, the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with, Onis, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They prove to be a comfort to me. Listen, what did Paul see in his brethren? Read that text. What, what did Paul see? 
Paul talked about how faithful and good and wonderful. Now, do you think that he never had a disagreement with any? You know what happened between him and John Mark, right? Remember Acts 15, the back end of Acts 15, where Barnabas decided to take Mark, and they had this, this big scuffle, not scuffle, they had this big discussion. Uh, the apostle Paul did with Barnabas, and they, they parted ways. Remember that? But now look what he says. He says, you know about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, if he comes to you, welcome him. These guys are, are useful. What's Paul doing? Paul's not focusing on the negative. Paul is looking at the positive. Paul's got the right attitude. Paul's looking for the good in these men. We would see something similar in 1 Timothy 4, 16 through 18. But I don't want to turn there because of time. Go back with me to Philippians 4, please. When Paul says in this text, Philippians 4, Verse 8, finally, brethren. And he goes through this list. I want, I want to take a look at each one of these just for a couple of minutes. Each one of these terms, he says, finally, brethren. And again, this is the cure so that you don't have these problems. Whatever things are true. That word true is the same word that's used in John 8, 31 and verse 32. John 17, 17. Listen. Satan knows that it is often the smaller things that will tear a church apart when it comes to personalities. I want you to think about that. Remember in the Bible we have churches being torn apart over things like which food to eat. Remember that? Which food to eat? We have Romans 14 in the Bible for a reason. Romans 14 is about matters of opinion. He says, you know, at one point the Apostle Paul says, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Often it's the little things about which food you eat and those sorts of things that, that hurt the first century church, but guess what? Today it's matters of opinion and personalities over things like, do I use a pitch pipe or what color of the carpet or which program are we going to institute? Those are the things that often tear congregations apart because people get on one side or the other. Euodia and Syntyche's issue may not have been all that big in the beginning, but listen, do you know what happens to a little problem when it's not dealt with? When you put it in the fertilizer of your mind and you lay awake at night thinking about that little tiny issue between you and another member of the church, you know what happens? You fertilize it and you think about it. Guess what? It begins to grow. You let some of these things set over years. And what began as a very small problem over maybe something as simple as the color of the carpet, you know what it's become? It's become congregation splitting. So instead of focusing on those little things and turning them over in our mind, we need to let them go and meditate or set our mind on the things that are true and not sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff between you and your brethren. Whatever things are true, think about that. Think about what is true in the Bible. Think about the relationship you have with God. Think about, think about the good things in your brethren. Another word here, whatever is true, whatever is noble, that means whatever is honorable admirable, deserving of respect, whatever is good or decent, faithful, hardworking. This has to do with recognizing and identifying those people who are doing good jobs. One of the things, Euodia and Syntyche used to be workers, good workers. And Paul says, look, whatever things are good, uh, true, whatever things are noble, if there's something praiseworthy, focus on that. Listen, Does the person that you've ever had a little problem with in the church, is there something good in them, yes or no? Yes. Is there something good, there's got to be something good in them. 
focus on those things, whatever, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is honorable, think of those things. Look for those things in that person. They're there. Look with me for a moment in chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 19 and following. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord, I myself shall come shortly. Yes, I considered, yet I considered, verse 25, the necessity to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all, he was distressed because you had heard he was sick. He was sick almost to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. What's Paul doing? My point here is this. Paul's talking about all the noble things in his brethren. Listen. Remember a couple of minutes ago in the lesson I talked about kids in the back seat and what they hear on the way home? You remember that? You know what they need to hear? They need to hear what's noble. They need to hear what Paul just told Timothy in chapter 2. They need to hear, wow, wasn't that something today how brother so-and-so stepped up to me and encouraged me? Wasn't that something today? Did you know sister so-and-so was there? And I know she was up in a Bible study till 2 o'clock this morning with somebody else. She was in church this morning teaching the children. Isn't that awesome? That's what Paul's doing there. He's proclaiming that which is noble and praiseworthy. We need to do that with one another. That's what the kids need to hear in the back seat on the way home from church. Wow, wasn't it great that brother so-and-so was there this morning? What a worker. The next term is whatever is just or whatever is right. We need to focus on the good and right things. Another word he uses is pure. We need to focus on that which is pure. Whatever things are pure, he says. Pure means cleansed and fit to offer to God. Blameless. Listen to this when it comes to pure from Psalm 15, 1 through 4. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. You know what that means? That means if he hears something bad about another brother or sister, he ain't going to take it up. He ain't going to listen to it. He ain't going to have anything to do with it. Years and years ago, I had a sister come to me, and she says, do you know what sister so-and-so said to me? She said this. And basically I said, I don't think so. I know sister so-and-so, and she wouldn't say that. <gasps> that was the end of the discussion. Anyway. Will not take up a reproach against a friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Those people who want to be on the Lord's holy hill, in his tabernacle, in heaven as, you, as it were, is the one who walks in purity. Also, we see the word here, whatever things are lovely. It's the only time this word is used in the Greek New Testament. It's the only time. You know what it means? Love-inspiring. Whatever is love-inspiring, let your mind dwell on this. The only time the word occurs. Now, think about this. Does it inspire you to love another person when they reach out and encourage you? Does it? 
does me. Does it inspire you to love somebody more strongly when they do something nice for you despite your faults? Mm -hmm. That's what the word means. If somebody's ever done that, focus on those people. Focus on their act of love. Focus on their love-inspiring actions. That's what our kids need to hear in the back seat on the way home from church. Of good report, whatever is of good report. That means whatever is decent and good. It's the opposite of bad news. It's the opposite of bad news. Dirt. You know dirt sells, right? Dirt sells. This is just the opposite of that. If something is good. Think of Paul in chapter 1 of this very epistle. Think, think about this for a minute. Paul in chapter 1 of Philippians is in chains. He mentions that. He is in chains. Not only is Paul in chains, he's in jail or prison, however you want to put it, under house arrest, whatever terms, but he's in chains and he is a prisoner. He's being persecuted and he's possibly right on the verge of being executed. Now, how would you feel if that was you? You're in prison, you're in chains, you're facing persecution, and this might be the last day you're here because the Roman emperor or somebody else might decide to take your life. That's where he is. And you know what Paul says in the midst of all that? You know what he said? I'm rejoicing. Wow. Well, Paul, are you out of your mind? <laughs> no but he was meditating on those things that were of good report. He was constantly looking for and therefore finding, because you can't find something you ain't looking for when we're talking like this. He was looking for and therefore finding and reporting his rejoicing in the good. Isn't that what he does? For me to live is Christ, to die is getting that great? Is that what we'd be doing if we were in prison? You see, some of us, are in our own personal prisons. They might not have bars, but if there's unforgiveness in our heart, if there's anger and bitterness and resentment, if there's pride and selfishness, we're in our own self-imposed prison. It's just as real as if the walls were concrete and the bars were steel. But Paul says, I'm gonna focus on the good instead. And then he says, whatever thing there is a virtue or if there's anything praiseworthy. I'll talk about virtue for just a second. We set the bar way too low, people. Young folks, you set the bar way too low. Sometimes we look up to performers, athletes, movie stars. We're setting the bar way too low. Whatever things there are of virtue or praiseworthy, you know, a lot of the stars that we look up to are not worthy because they're not virtuous. This word means of moral goodness and excellence. We need to focus more on the Lord Jesus Christ and on his church because within the Lord's church there are people who are deserving of your praise. Young folks, old folks, everybody in between folks. There are people in the church who are virtuous. There are people in the church who are living the holy life God wants them to live. And they have, they have lived it through temptation. They have lived it through battles. 
They are scarred, but they are still walking the straight and narrow. These warriors of the faith, those are the people that deserve our praise because they are the ones who are virtuous. What does it say in, in Proverbs 31, 10 and following? A virtuous wife who can find goes on to, you, some of the greatest people on this planet are sitting in this room because of what Christ has turned them into. Virtuous people, worthy of following their example. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And finally, he says, whatever is praiseworthy. Let me ask you a question. Did the Apostle Paul find something praiseworthy in these two women who were fighting? Yeah, he said, they were fellow workers with me. He found something good in them. Even when they couldn't find something good in each other. So, so the question pops into my mind, do you suppose that that problem that we have, let me start over. Do you suppose that that person that we either have a problem with or had a problem with, do you think maybe that they might have something praiseworthy in their life too that we could find if we looked like Paul did? Do you think they do? Depends on what we're looking for. And so, bottom line is, I'm going to ask you to turn to one more passage, and that's 2 Corinthians 13. We'll get there in a moment. Bottom line of today's two sermons, we need to examine ourselves and our attitudes or mindsets. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. We need to question or examine what we have chosen to firmly fix or set our minds like concrete upon. We must meditate on the sorts of things found in Philippians 4, 8, and 9 and make them our focus. Because we will never have the great life that God intends for us to have if we do not. You know what the difference is between a good day and a bad day? Attitude. Period. Do you know what the difference is between an attractive, unified, and heaven-bound congregation and an ugly, divided, earthly-minded congregation that nobody wants to be a part of? You know what the difference is? Attitude. Mindset. What was the difference between the grossly divided Corinthian congregation that we see at the beginning of 1 Corinthians? Those people were divided over everything. What is the difference between the grossly divided Corinthian congregation we see in the beginning of 1 Corinthians and the comforted, peaceful church they were well on their way to becoming by the end of 2 Corinthians? You know what the difference was? Their attitude. Their mindset. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 11, this. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. They, they were getting there. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. And we've already discussed that phrase about having the right attitude and being unified in a good attitude. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It is more than past time for any stinking thinking to face annihilation.
And that all begins when we put that old man of sin to death and rise up to walk in newness of life. Newness of life where we then set our minds on things above, not on things of earth. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and following. We talked about that this morning. It begins when we rise to walk in newness of life, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Sounds a little like the Momentum Conference, doesn't it, guys? And then as a result, always putting the Lord and the good of his people always first before ourselves in our lives. This is something that Euodia and Syntyche needed to learn. They needed to relearn and reset their minds to doing it and fast. Maybe there's somebody here tonight who needs to respond appropriately as well. So let me just ask you, what is your mind set? What is your mind set upon? Where will your mindset be tomorrow morning when you rise to face the world? When somebody seeks to walk all over you in your faith like a concrete floor? When the lost walk by you without knowing about the faith, what will your mindset toward them be? Or even should some fellow worker in the church immaturely and unlovingly insist on having their own way over yours, what will your attitude be? The invitation is here tonight. If you just need the prayers of the church to have a better mindset, just need the prayers of the church to help you choose to have a good day tomorrow. Or if you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and begun to walk in newness of life, if any of those needs are yours tonight, church is here for you. God is waiting. Make your way to the front, please, as we stand and as we sing.